and welcome to another awesome episode of FW Presents, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am super excited to welcome this outstanding group of guests onto the show this time. First up, one of the Fire and Water Network all-stars who hosts Zero Hour Strikes, FW Team Up, and other shows here on the Fire and Water Network, Siskoid. What's up, man? Uh, I'm doing well, Ryan. I, I, I still have my job. Okay. Well, <laughs> which means which means I'm self-employed anyway. <laughs> uh, next, a longtime friend of the network who runs the Supergirl blog and contributes to the Legion of Super Bloggers. Please welcome Dr. Ange. What's up, Doc? Uh, not much, Ryan. You know the uh, world is in a state of pandemic hysteria, and I'm a physician, so all is well. <laughs> I'm sure there are much better things you could be doing than what you're doing right now, but I'm glad we have you anyway. Uh, finally, another one of our longtime friends from the Fortress of Baileytude, where he hosts two different Superman podcasts and two different Batman podcasts? That doesn't sound right. That is absolutely right. <laughs> it's it, Michael it should Bailey. Just be, it should just be two world's finest podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. And it's funny you say that because uh, there's another podcaster out there, a very uh, a good friend of mine named Michael Bradley, and he hosted a World's Finest podcast uh, or that he recently brought back for an episode called Superman and Batman, which is an excellent show. And another friend of the show, Alan, Professor Alan and M, had him on because he hosted a show about Superman and Batman to talk about Jimmy Olsen. I'm like, well, that was that's all you needed. I mean... We're, we're like so close anyways with the last name and everything. I just had to do it together. Uh, my luck. <laughs> all right. So what are we here to talk about? What topic could bring all of these guys together? I am pumped because this subject harkens back to some of my very first episodes of FW Presents, a segment that I used to call When I'm in Charge, where I would indulge my wildest dreams of controlling DC's publishing slate. What changes would I make? What books would I publish? Which characters, like Hawk and Dove, would I kill violently? It was a fun little flight of fancy at the time, so why am I bringing it up again? On February 21st, 2020, news broke that Dan DiDio, co-publisher of DC Comics for the last decade and editor-in-chief for years before that, had left the company. Details were vague, but the prevailing sense was that his departure was not his decision. The response to the news all over social media was nothing short of ecstatic. In fact, the victory laps taken by critics of DiDio within both the fan and comics communities were so overjoyous that within a couple of hours of the news breaking, there was already a backlash to that reaction. Some people didn't think it appropriate to be so cavalier about a man's loss of livelihood. But even amongst those preaching compassion for DiDio's ousting, I didn't read a single post or tweet or article expressing anything close to regret. Whether you liked how he was fired or you didn't, everyone seemed to agree that DC Comics has needed a change in leadership for quite some time. I think the easy thing to do right now would be for everyone to vent their grievances with Dan DiDio, his worst decisions, his biggest missteps as head of DC... But I want to keep this positive and light, so let's do the opposite. Let's go around the Skype table here and everyone list their favorite contribution from the Didio era. Michael, what do you think? What has been your favorite or what do you think was the most positive change or agenda that Didio brought about during his tenure? Uh, I'm, I'm a little upset that we're not doing the other one because I was going to do my best, like, uh, you know, uh, what, what's his name from Seinfeld? I got a lot of problems with you people. Um, 
I, you know, it's funny because one, I can't, I won't be doing my Didio impersonation as much anymore, uh, <laughs> which I had pretty much perfected. Uh, that, that's always disappointing. But here's the thing. You said that DC has needed a change for a long time. And I agree with that. Uh, I, I think it's pretty fair to say that with 15 different reboots and, and, and new and new initiatives that maybe it had run its course, which actually leads into what I think is his best contribution. Despite it having been laid on a foundation that is problematic at best, and maybe this is because I'm rereading all these books for something that's coming coming in May, I have to say that the lead-up to Infinite Crisis, like that, that two to three years between like 2003 and 2006 was probably the last time that I was really engaged with DC Comics as a, as a company. All of the books seemed to be firing on all cylinders. You had a great writing staff of Jeff Johns, a Judd Winnick, and Greg Rucka. You know, Alan Heinberg was doing some work for them as well. And you had these fantastic artists, uh, not Rod Reese, uh, Ivan Reese was starting out then. Uh, you had Carl Kershaw and Ed Benes on Superman. I mean, it's just, it was this time where everything was connected. And if you read one book, you got the story. But if you read all of the books, you got this giant universe. And he was the one that spearheaded that. So I really think that him coming in because he was so new to the company that it it just allowed him to kind of pull together this group of newish writers and artists to create a truly unified DC universe. Nice. Ange, what do you think? Uh, you know, it, this might sound a little bit crazy, um, but I actually think that at times he heard the criticism that people had about the way he handled the DCU and attempted to uh, rectify that by making some bold decisions that ultimately just never panned off. And so one of the ones that I thought was pretty good was he did the whole DCU, Y-O-U uh, group of titles which I think was at a time just prior when DC was probably at its darkest and grittiest. And there was all this backlash about why can't things be a little bit more lighter and a little bit more positive. And so they put together that group of books. And, you know, some of those books I thought were excellent. There was the Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor Starfire, which I think was a really great book and certainly was a much different feel to Starfire than the, you know, brainless, oversexed bimbo that Scott Lobdell had done. Mm -hmm. There was that whole Black Canary book, which I think you loved, Ryan, that I certainly did love, that was her as like a, truly a, um, a rock singer and um, with that great art by Annie Wu. And like they put out songs on the on the Internet that you could like actually listen to her band play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, and even things like um, the Burnside Batgirl, which I think really caught on to like um, a little bit of the zeitgeist of the time. Because uh, that certainly like exploded in a supernova of positivity. And I think that that was in a direct response to all of the complaints about how dark things were. Um, and so I think he he tried, but um, at times, but he always seemed to fall back into the same trap where it was, oh, you know, well, you know, it would be even better if we made things even darker. And mm -hmm. so if you look over his period of, of uh, running the show, 
it's like every three years there's a year of the villain or like everything is evil or like, you know, these guys are, are good guys because they're less evil than those guys. And um, so I just think that he never had like the wherewithal to try to stick it out with some of these responses that he had, I think, to appropriate criticism. Cisco, what do you think? Well, I, I, isn't Dan DiDio a little bit schizophrenic? Because there's all that that darkness in the main line of books, let's say like the high profile books, the more uh, the properties that are going on and will be in movies and all of that stuff is is gritty to the point of alienating old read, older readers in a an industry that is not very good at finding new readers. So I think that's been the failure of DC right now. Uh, has been this this regime of that. But at the same time, he's greenlit and even written some really offbeat books. He wants himself, he wants to write uh, Metal Men and OMAC. And I mean, those aren't like prestigious projects. Uh, they're, they're goofy projects. They're sort of oddball projects. And he's greenlit. A lot of these, uh, Ange just talked about the DCU, but uh, you could throw in that lot. You could throw Young Animal. You could throw uh, Wonder Comics, which is the more recent projects. But it's like we acknowledge that the main line of books is not is a certain style, house style, but we'll let other styles live in these other lines, which I don't understand why there are so many of them. I mean, they don't have necessarily the same tone, but how can the person that is greenlighting these books that I find super interesting under these labels and yet are sort of in the DC universe anyway, and then at the same time be leading the rest of the DC universe into a, a wasteland that I care not about at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that you know both the both the guests that have spoken already have brought up good points. I mean, it's pretty pretty much where I would have gone. Same thing with the uh, the interlocked universe. To me, the DCU was maybe at its best since for since for a long time. Right before they decided to reboot it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I was following a lot of books just prior to Flashpoint. And it's like all that goodwill gone, all of those stories abruptly ended. And I feel it, it, it's true that he hasn't stuck out, you know, stayed with a certain direction for long enough. And at this point, we're just, you know, the, the this universe is directionless at this point. So th- that he is leaving, it's a little bit like there was no one at the wheel already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if I can uh, uh, tag in uh, to... This Cisco had said is that you're so right. Even when you look at the New Fifty Two, uh, that was relatively experimental because he had Western books and he had war books and he had horror books and he had anthology books and so, so he did have this sort of like certain you know creative vision of like trying to broaden the overall view. It I just keep going back to that idea that stuck in my head that he just kept regressing back to this horrible darkness and like let's make it even darker this time that I just ultimately think is what was pinned on him to the point that people don't necessarily, you know, remember all of these other things that that he did that was positive. And, and I'd also add that he was a nice counterbalance to Joe Casada over at Marvel. Uh, in the early 2000s to, you know, just around the time of the New 52, because Joe Casada was trying to be the angry Stan Lee or the acerbic Stan Lee, where he would just put himself out there as the like the face of the company, but also at the same time kind of insult the readers, where 
Dan DiDio always tried to present, at least in public, like a positive face. Mm-hmm. You know, the back of the, what was that called? DC Nation that yeah. ran for a long time. He, you know, the panels and, and that he hosted. Uh, one of the things that I, I remember is back around like the end of 2004, I was reading Wizard Magazine, which dates me pretty hardcore there, I think. Uh, and they had an interview with Casada and DiDio. And they're like, who are your hottest artists right now? And Casada just starts, you know, rapid fire naming names. And Didio is like, you know, we have a really good creative staff and I don't want to put one above the other because I think, you know, all of our people are doing the best job. And I was just like, wow, that's a (laughs) that's a that's a different take on this. That's a guy that's, you know, at least at this point, putting forth the idea that DC is good because it's composed of great people, not because of five artists that they have. I will say that I came to DC Comics during the DiDio era, in part because of decisions that he made. Um, I met most of the DC heroes, or I should say I met the big the big guns through merchandising in the 80s, through you know Super Friends, Super Powers, toys like that, and I, I knew who these characters were. But when I started collecting comics, I had a hard time getting into DC. I was a Marvel zombie for like a decade and a half, because... I I would look at DC Comics uh, in on like the rack and I didn't recognize that Green Lantern. I didn't recognize that you know Hawkman or Aquaman or whatever. They just they didn't I didn't know who these were. Like these legacy characters that longtime fans had had grown to love after Crisis on Infinite Earths and had really kind of come up with and, and had this whole experience. They loved them. So when DiDio came back and kind of did away with a lot of these legacies and brought Ollie Queen back from the dead and then brought Hal Jordan back from the dead and then brought Berlin, and I know that was a big turnoff for a lot of longtime fans. But for me, that was a gateway drug that helped me access these characters for the first time. And, you know, I really started getting into DC in that time that you were talking about, like around 2003, around 2004. You know, like I was already a Batman fan, but I jumped into Green Lantern right between Rebirth and Sinestro Corps War. And that like just from there, that opened up to everything. And... Even a book like Identity Crisis, which I know a lot of people refuse to even acknowledge that it exists and and cannot speak anything positively of. I will say that reading that book for as dark as it was, the writing of that, Meltzer's writing of that, it was a fascinating way of giving voice to characters I never knew anything about. All of a sudden, like, I'm looking at it, I was like, I don't know who Elongated Man was, I don't know who Ray Palmer was, but I really like these guys, and I want to go buy The Essential, The Atom, or or The Showcase, sorry, Showcase Presents The Atom, or something like that, and, and read their old Silver Age stories, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I it did not stay that strong for now, but I I gotta say some of his early decisions that might have been controversial and turned off older older longtime veteran DC readers, it helped me gain a foothold into that universe for the first time, really. So um okay so for now uh folks jim lee remains the sole publisher of dc comics um I, it's expected that warner brothers will replace the deal and that might even happen by the time you listen to this episode uh i my gut my speculation this is based on nothing i think jim lee will step down within a year and will there will just be one new publisher um i don't know who it's going to be um, right now we don't know where DC Comics will go when the new publisher takes over, but until then, 
I think the four of us can have a little fun indulging in our wild fantasies about running the company our way and publishing the books that we want to see. And that, listeners, is what this episode is going to be all about. Uh, We've all brought some ideas, and I don't know if these are going to be big seismic changes or just ideas for new series. Uh, We're all going to find that out together. Uh, Does anybody want to volunteer to share his idea first? Otherwise, I'm just going to go in order of height. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Unless it's it's the other way around. Are you going from a, in ascending order? <laughs> then I go last. <laughs> Unless somebody else volunteers, I will go first. I will go first. Um, what? And this is going to be. I, I, I got some big kind of expansive ideas, but one of the ideas that I really would like to do, this would be in part of kind of breaking up the entire publishing line, uh, like on a big, big macro scale. But one of it would be the classic heroes that we love, the JLA heroes, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, all these characters. I would sort of change where people find them and I would put them sort of relegate them into their own line of books that are more digest sized books and they would be released like in bigger, bigger, like sort of manga sized manga volume chunks released kind of on a schedule more conducive to that. These would be like 100 page books featuring all of these kind of classic characters all ages superhero stories, you know, starring your favorites from like the silver and bronze age, these kind of iconic heroes that people know and love. I would hire our good friends, Luke Dobb and Russell Burbage to be the creative directors of this, you know, sort of subline of books and projects. And it would be like DC's action, DC's detective, DC's sensation, DC's adventure, and DC's more fun. And like these five volumes, like again, digest size, manga size, things like that. Like these just collection of like sort of anthology titles where you see these heroes and they would be coming out fun all ages. They would be pushed in stores like Walmart, Target, grocery stores, any store with a spinner rack, basically. Uh, or a magazine rack, I should say. Not, not a spinner rack, but a magazine rack. Um, specialty shops like GameStop, something like The idea would be put these where kids can find them and make them available so that like a kid can shove them in their back pocket or something like that. Um, that yeah, that was kind of like the first idea that I had. What do you guys think? Well, you use the word manga. And this is important because one of the things that is happening is, I mean, what are we ready as American comic book uh, fans? What are we ready to let go on the publishing side of things? I don't mean content. I mean format. Right. Because this is a dying industry. The paper is so costly. The production costs are so high that now it's it's not a good product for, you know for the money for value is the, the problem so this is it really is a dying industry and it takes diehard fans to keep buying and they have to put up you know all these gimmicks all these crossovers all this kind of stuff is just to keep us the addicts reading and buying so it's not conducive to getting new people into it so your idea to to put books in kids hands through actual places where kids go where kids are, where they can they can you know pull on their mom's sleeve to buy me this book, uh, that's important. But uh, I, maybe it's not going far enough. So I was raised in a different market because as a French Canadian, all the comics that we bought when we were kids are were all hardcover volumes of Tintin and Asterix and all of these kinds of things from Europe. Mm-hmm. 
And even our American comics were bundled up into these big, what, what looked then like uh, Showcase Presents Now, you mm-hmm. know, like black and white collections of transla- badly translated American comics. But still, you bought, you, you had that big volume. So instead of spending, uh, which w- here a comic book was like 75 cents when I started buying American comics, 75 cents Canadians was like 65, the 65 cents comics or 60 cent comics back in the States for seven bucks. I got a, a volume, a full story, 64-page story of Tintin, full color, oversized, you know, treasury-sized, hardcover, which I still own, which is on a shelf. And they're, they're damaged because I was a kid, and I wrote inside some of them, wrote my name in the, in the inside front cover. Maybe you put, like, a masking tape on it, but I still have all those books. And many of them were gifts I got when I started reading, which was at age three. So those are 45-year-old books that are in a similar condition to many of, you know, comics, like hardcover comics that I would have bought later. People keep them. This is, this is the case. In French Canada, everybody has some of these books, and they keep them forever, and they give them to their kids, and their kids give them to their kids. I've got some of these books that are, you know, older than I am, so easily, uh, that used to belong to an uncle or, or my father, and, and I still have them. I, you know, I can't promise that of a 75 cent comic that I bought in the 80s uh, that I can re-gift it so easily or, the, you know, that it will stay in shape uh, in the same way. So it's a different market. Manga is also different. You get collections of strips and eventually collections, you know, like the way they sell them in Japan. You get a bunch and then in, inside the same book, you have like a different stories all stripped. And Europe also did that. There was a Tintin magazine. There was like an Asterix magazine called Pilot. They, they stripped them down to four-page or eight-page chunks. And then eventually they would release the collection or the full story. So are these better formats? Are we ready to, to leave the 22-page 20 page rag behind because it is not cost-effective? And that's a question I'm asking because, you know, you may be more attached to that than I am because I've sampled the other way to read them. And I see a lot of adults buying them and a lot of kids getting them still, those albums. They're more than 7 bucks today, obviously. But I think people are more ready to buy a $20 or $15 uh, volume that is a book than buying comics at five to seven dollars a pop for kids to get into comics when when to follow a story you will have to spend that seven dollars over and over and over just to get a complete story so i I like what you're doing ryan but i think maybe it's not far enough and obviously i'm trying to reconfigure the entire comics industry here it's not just dc (laughs) comics it's everybody no i I Uh, knew like just from from what we were talking about before we started this uh, i i knew you were going to go pretty far out there and yeah but and now we have digitals maybe a lot of stuff is stripped digitally and then eventually makes it to the book format that you can buy in actual bookstores uh, so anyway, that's I'm, I'm sending it out there as my a permutation on your idea. All right. Discuss. If Yeah. And if I can sort of tweak one of the things that you said, Ryan, I love the word that you said anthology, because I think one of the things that I had on my list that I was actually lower down on my list was that word, because I think that, you know, people, are they want to immerse themselves in these universes. But it's very hard, again, when you have these super expensive floppies that are really dedicated only to one character. You know, we grew up in a time or I grew up in a time um, when there was the Superman family book and the Batman family book and other sort of anthology 
anthologies that have like in this book, you have a Supergirl story, a Black Orchid story and, you know, an Animal Man reprint. And so I think maybe the hundred page giants that they're putting out are trying to capture a little bit of that. But one of the things that I would say is trying to get these groups of characters that people want to know on Moss in books that have individual stories about them. So I can pick up a Superman family book and get a Superman story, a Lois Lane story, a Jimmy Olsen story and a Supergirl story. As opposed to every 10 years they come out with a Lois Lane miniseries, every 20 years they have a Jimmy Olsen solo story, and then Supergirl they just don't know what to do with and she keeps failing. That maybe if you put together family anthology books, that would be a way um, to sort of get more readers to sort of grasp the universe as a whole. I haven't picked up any of the DC 100-page giants at those stores, but like, I, I'm just kind of like curious because of the reprint volume, like, you know, if you're picking up the, the Superman one or the Batman one, and if it's got like a backup story featuring a Supergirl or somebody like that, is like, is it a done in one? Is it a one shot, or is it just like the a reprinting like chapter no. one of her last like five part you know series and everything? It's like, did, does that hook a new person, or is that just more confusing? Like, I I, I think because um, my, my my ideas were a little more uh, I don't want to say scorched earth because that's not the correct <laughs> the, the, the right way. Uh, of the things that I would keep, I would definitely keep the young animal line going. If it's not going right now, I'd bring it back. Uh, I think DC comics needs a place for its weird characters. Mm -hmm. I need, we, we, we need to get people who don't read superheroes to read books. And as much as I was mocked relentlessly in the nineties by people that read Sandman, you know, for sticking with my superheroes, I, I see value in, continuing that sort of line i would definitely continue the 100 page giants i developed a problem recently i may need help i don't know i don't know if this is me asking for help it might be but i started buying a bunch of them because i love this concept of since i am not plugged into the mainstream dc universe anymore but i still love these characters i love the idea that i get a superman 100 page giant and it gives me a brand new superman story uh, currently drawn by uh, Paul Pelletier, and, and I'm really anxious to say that with Siskoid on the line, um, but because uh, I know there's different pronunciations of that name, uh, and uh, Robert Vendetti, uh, and I'm probably screwing that name up too, just stumbling over myself because it's been that kind of day, but you also have, in the current one, you have the Brainiac story being reprinted, uh, which was a good back-to-basics Superman story that led into a larger story. It is reprinting the post-New Krypton Sterling Gates, Jamal Igol Supergirl stories as the Supergirl feature. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is, this is great. This is exactly what we need because you're, you're, you're hooking people into the best runs of these characters. So I would definitely keep that. I would also maintain a healthy reprint line uh, in collected editions yep. uh, because I think there is a market there for guys our age, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, we want the old stuff. Last year, they put out a Titans Hunt trade paperback. And I'm like, well, I know two people that are going to buy this at least. So, <laughs> But for the main line, for the main DC line, I would cancel every book but Action and Detective. And for a month or two, I would uh, I would have Action and Detective be the Batman and Superman books, 
and I would have a new Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, and Aquaman series running concurrently. And over the months, introduce other titles, where eventually around six months in, you finally get a new Justice League book. But I would also introduce titles called Adventure, which mm-hmm. would run four to five issue story arcs, introdu- uh, reintroducing or introducing a character. And I would have more fun that would have, for lack of a better way of describing it, sugar and spike type characters. <laughs> Where you just have jokey, more, um, you know, kind of, kind of funny, but lighthearted stuff. Binky's back. Yeah, Binky, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and I would also have um, Our Army at War and a Western Tales title. I don't know what I would call both of those, but I would try to do a war in a Western book. Because I, I absolutely agree with whoever was excited during the New 52 that they were trying other genres. They didn't succeed, and I think really uh, the the All-Star Western was kind of hurt because they tied it to the Bat titles in a weird way, with uh, Jonah Hex going to you know Cowboy Times Gotham and getting <laughs> caught up in the Court of Owls storyline. Whatever. I mean, Legion and Young all are part of Millennium, so what the hell, right? <laughs> I, I liked that they were trying, that they were giving a shot to all of these other genre books with the New 52, with the Westerns and the horrors and the other types of things. But I, I also think one of the problems is they were pretty upfront about the bottom line sales figures that everything needed to meet. Mm. Otherwise the book would be canceled. And I think like those numbers kind of were leaking before the books were even out. So, you know, like all-star Western might've come out like, it's like, Hey, it's basically just Jonah Hex. We just like, you know, it's just a new spin on Jonah Hex. It's like, yeah, but you had different expectations for Jonah Hex. Once it's in the new 52, it needs to be selling a lot more than Jonah Hex was selling. And if it's not, then it's just, you're, you're, you're cutting it. So I think, I think they, I, I was definitely getting mixed messages with those. It's like, yeah, we're giving, we're pushing these out, but we're also not showing that we have much faith in those. Yeah, it's all an aberration of that system. Yeah. If you're buying monthly, if you're selling monthly books, then they need to, to, you know, sometimes you'll cancel it before the the story's even over. If you're making longer stories and selling them as as books, which is my scheme, then. You, you don't cancel the thing because it's out. It's out. The story is out. And if you don't make another one, we never promise the series. If it does well, there is a volume two. There's a volume three. There is like further stories. That, that, that's why I'm, I'm pushing that, because I, I think that one of the things that the monthly does is push us into this sort of, uh, you know, it's like a live or die kind of situation for all these books and for all these creators and for all these characters. And, uh, you know, your favorites will probably fall because unless you like the really mainstream ones that are IPs. But Ange hasn't spoken yet, I think. Yeah, yeah. so um, thanks so much. Uh, I think that all of the things that you guys have said um, are is so true. For me, I think uh, if I could do one thing, it would go back to that truly integrated universe. Um, I know Michael said like back when that prelude to Infinite Crisis was happening, that the whole universe felt like tied in. There were those mini series that were coming out before in- Infinite Crisis and everything felt like it was together with like one path ahead. And right now, you know, I don't think that Didio ever had truly that much control, you know, as somebody who still goes to the comic book store every Wednesday and has like six books uh, and, you know, blogs, reviews. um, I'm like the die hardest of die hards. And 
And it's so confusing right now when you look even over the last year at the major, huge, epic storylines that are going on in the DC universe all at the same time that make it impossible to know what happened when, right? So you had Event Leviathan where every spy organization got destroyed. You had the Batman who laughs, who infected four heroes and kind of is trying to take over the universe. You had the Justice League story with like the perpetual you know, goddess trying to bring back a doomed universe. And you had Doomsday Clock. And all of those things were supposed to be happening at the same time. And yet, how could they all be happening at the same time? How could Superman be fighting Dr. Manhattan, stopping Leviathan, fighting in space with the Justice League, you know, and taking on his cousin? And so there was just never this unified feel to it. And that even trickles down even to the subgenres of books. Again, I'm going to talk a lot about Superman and Supergirl. You know, you have... Superman revealing that he's Clark Kent. And in the Superman books, there's Supergirl cheering him right there. And then in a recent issue, there's Supergirl watching it on television when she is infected by the Batman who laughs and is very angry that he's doing that. And it's like you can't have both of those things happening. It just shows that you just don't have enough control over your universe to sort of have, hey, as a company, we're moving ahead uh, and we have an understanding of where we're going. Um, so that's just the one thing. I mean, I I have felt for a long time that the DC universe is like an omelet, right? It's just a bunch of ingredients that are thrown together and you hope there's enough egg to hold everything uh, into, a, you know, on your plate. Um, if not, it's just a mess. Yeah, and, and that was kind of one of the things I wanted to go for uh, and to kind of provide a kind of a counterbalance to what Siskoid was saying, not that it wasn't a good idea because I, I like the idea of uh, just kind of large chunks where you can just dive into something and really immerse yourself into the story. But I also kind of like the idea of trying to make the monthly comic an event again. And I think because you know, the market has substantially changed even more so than like two or three years ago, the market has shifted. And it, it, when Ryan first suggested, well, what would you do as publisher? Immediately in my mind, I was like, well, the one thing I would not do is say, let's go back to this era and do that because that era is over. Uh, I, I, I exist in, in a, in a sub fandom of comic book superheroes that are full of people of good intent, but they think if they just bring, if DC would just bring back their favorite person who wrote or drew Superman, that that would fix everything. And it wouldn't because Dan. Hang on, hang on. I'm taking three things off of my list right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. You were saying, but but, I mean, Dan Jurgens is an aberration. Uh, And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that he is the exception that proves the rule because his Superman stuff from Rebirth had a similar tone to his stuff from the 90s. but It wasn't the exact same thing he did back then. Uh, He tried to fit it within the marketplace of today. Uh, So I, I think the idea of trying to garner interest and sustain that interest, because I think that's the biggest problem with DC, is that they start a new initiative, and then six months later, they're just wandering all over the place. Rebirth had, I think, one of the strongest openings, even, I think, to a certain extent, not sales-wise, but in terms of fan acceptance of any of their launches, even the New 52, which had a huge launch. 
but there was a lot of people going, what the F are you doing here? You know, you're, 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 you're renumbering action a detective. And that was one of my, that was one of the, the, the few things that I, I said snarkily at the time. I was just like, so we're, we're revamping the entire universe. Everything's rebooting. And to show that we're really serious, we're renumbering action a detective. Hey Dan, are you also like redoing Batman and Green Lantern? No, those are making money for us. We have yeah. to we have to keep those pretty much exactly like they are. But I, I think there is something to be said by having a shared universe, as Ange said, and trying to make those books the best that they can be and attract an audience while being part of a interconnected universe. Now I know that's hard. I'm not saying that uh, blah, 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 you can just do it. But I think if you can make the books themselves not a venti, but uh, what is it? Um, it? When you have to watch a, a, a television show every week. What is that yeah, called? Appointment television. Appointment television. It's like appointment comics, essentially. And there would not be, in my world, a company-wide crossover for at least two years. So that everyone can establish what they want to do. Because if we're talking about content, then, I mean, one of the problems that DC has or any comics company has is the soap opera, the ongoing soap opera. And trying to throw all sorts of things in there that take the character away from its iconic roots. And that's, I think, a problem for when – and I talked about this uh, – I, I – I did a little search on my on my blog. You know, I, I, I write quite a lot. And uh, uh, it's fun because there were rumors. I, I wrote an article uh, sort of about this when Dan DiDio was rumored to be about to be fired in 2008. <laughs> 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 and uh, it, it also references another uh, post that I'd written the year before. So th these are ideas from 2007, 2008 sort of thing. And I don't know how viable they are today but still the idea one of the the things that i bring up in that article is the success of the back then there wasn't like a cw line of shows but the success of the animated series batman superman justice league those animated series and how they reinvented many of the characters especially the villains and yet it seemed to always be good you know, that Batman show was always good. That Superman show was always good. That Justice League show was always good. Even if they reinvented or, or you know, in, in some way the characters. And the reason was that they distilled what is iconic about these characters. What is known about these characters? What makes them interesting? And in the revamp that, of course, they had to, because they're, they're doing their own universe, in that revamp, they used those iconic traits. Anyone that likes one of the movies, one of the TV shows, one of the our cartoon shows, and goes to the comics is like like Ryan's own experience. It wasn't the iconic characters when he tried to get into it originally. It was all the legacy heroes. Uh, and you know, you you want to pick up Batman, you you pick up an issue, and it's it's Asbats. Ugh. <laughs> you know, for the new reader, that is not a gateway. That is that is a, a, a you know that that's that's a problem. And Ange and I are big Legion fans. I think Michael is as well. 
you know, the Legion has had so many continuities that it's confusing and people can't get into it. New readers can't get into it. Old readers can't get back into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's one of the problems that they're fighting. And especially in this this era where these characters are basically treated as IPs by Warner Brothers. It's important to have Superman comics because we want to do Superman movies. It's important to have Batman comics because we want to do Batman movies sort of thing. And they're mining the TV shows and the movies kind of are mining these IPs. Then why not protect the IP? And what we know, what do we know of Superman? We know of Superman among other things, that nobody knows he's Clark Kent. <laughs> so, like, that thing that they changed recently, yes, here it is, the the big press release story. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to tell, tell people that, that Captain America is dying, you know, that it's going to be killed, that, that press release. That does not always tr- – it may translate, uh, translate as a blip in sales for collectors and speculators, but it's not going to translate into – it hasn't historically translated into more sales, uh, you know, necessarily, and especially not for new readers. So you might be interested in a, in a story because it's it's kind of flashy or uh, sensationalistic. But for the new reader, if you change the legend too much, it is unrecognizable. And the Superman that they liked in whatever TV show, that is not the Superman that they're going to be able to read about. They are going to not read that book. They're not going to come back for a second issue because they'll be confused. And it's not the thing that they were promised by the other media. So one of the things that I would do as a publisher, uh, in far, as far as content goes, is bring the care. And this is some of the stuff that Dan DiDio has done. Controversially bring back Barry Allen, and et cetera. But it still needs to be that that kind of thing it still needs to be recognizable characters and recognizably in stories that people expect from them and the, the more obscure a character is the more you can let writers screw around with them you know in in my dc universe aquaman doesn't get the hook hand necessarily or now he would because that's the aquaman that people know you know whatever <laughs> so <laughs> it's got to be the, the aquaman that people know the wonder woman that people know it can't be the the J. Michael Straczynski Wonder Woman. You know, it's it's got to be recognizably Wonder Woman that people know. And within that, you can change things. Or, But somebody's got to de- decide what's iconic about these characters and protect that iconicity, I think. That's that's one part of, of the, as far as, as we're talking about content. That's what, it, you know, you need to protect these bigger lights. And then you, you screw around with Blue Beetle, who cares? But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but you know, so so that kind of that's what I would try to at least if if I were like to, to take control and we hear about that editorial control, the control would be really limited limited to that, and then hopefully the writers have can work with the toys, not break them. If you don't want to work on a character as he is, as she is, as it is, then you, you don't work on that character. Is yeah, basically ex- it. exactly. There is never a. Well, I don't like this character. Well, we really want you to work on it, so do what you want to do. It's the Tim Burton effect, essentially, where you know we really want to get Tim Burton back for a Batman film, so we let him do whatever we he wants to do, and that's how you get Batman Returns or Brian Azzarello on any superhero book. Yeah, yeah, Brian Azzarello would. It's like if he wants to go hang out in the Vertigo type books, that's fine. He is not allowed anywhere near any mainstream superhero, and he is like barred for life from Batgirl. As far as I'm concerned, but I think, you know, it's funny because Siskoid said something that that I've been thinking about recently is that it is really hard 
to do stories about iconic characters, not because of what they represent, but because soap opera type stories require certain dramatic elements to it that may not work for certain characters. One of the main criticisms of the post-crisis Superman that I finally discovered were there that I was just completely unaware of for years. And I really missed that uh, was some people felt like, well, this Superman, you know, seems to not always be right. And I'm just like, well, yeah, but it's kind of hard to tell continued stories about a character that's always right and keep a consistent audience and not just a core group of people. So I, I think what the CW shows have shown is that Mundies or civilians or whatever, you know, somewhat pretentious names you want to call them, will get into these characters if you give them characters to get into. But you have to maintain kind of an iconic quality. And as much as I think The Flash, for example, sometimes gets way too much into the melodrama, there is a consistent narrative that Barry is, you know, the hero of Central City. And there's an iconic quality to him because of that. Yeah, I'll just I'll just jump in uh, uh, wholeheartedly and agree with everything, because one of the things that really bugs me is when they don't understand what is iconic and they try to change it and and then they lose both the audience that wants the iconic and then they they don't get a new audience. So, you know, I'm going to talk specifically about Supergirl, but I'll just give another example. If they ever said we're going to make a James Bond movie and he's celibate and doesn't drink. That's not a James Bond movie, right? You know, uh, so, I mean, with Supergirl, it's like she is, a, you know, in the shadow of Superman a little bit, but she's optimistic and bright and good. And she's learning, unlike Superman, who is like accomplished, she can fail a little bit more and learn. She's on she's earlier in the hero's journey. But she definitely is optimistic and sees the best in people. And when you watch the television show, they jump right in, right? She's all about hope. She's, uh, you know, they even use Sterling Gates's line. She's like, help, hope, and compassion for all. That's her mantra, not truth, justice, and the American way. And they can't get that in Supergirl, you know, because when they get somebody in who does that, like Sterling Gates, or I might even say a little bit Steve Orlando, after a year, they're like, no, 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 the, you know, the, the jazzy thing will be to make her evil. And people who want to read about an evil girl don't read Supergirl. And people who like Supergirl don't want to read her being evil. And so it always fails. But every four years, we have to go through this, you know, that sort of take on it. So I, I agree. It should be this is what makes them iconic. We're going to really play into that and uh, and and we're going to promote that because then people will be able to jump on board. I don't know, Michael, if you're reading the Brian Michael Bendis stuff, but I feel that he is saying like, hey, this is Superman. He's just always going to try to do what's good and what's right. And that's going to shock people. But that's the way that I'm going to write him. And it feels very old school and yet new um, in a way. Uh, and so I actually think that he's doing a great job. I, but I but I also think, I'm sorry, one last thing, is that cross-promoting would be great because if you're somebody who watches the Supergirl television show and you say, I want to read more Supergirl, I'm not getting it enough. I'm not getting enough on watching these, you know, 20 episodes over the course of a year. Let me go read her book. There's no Supergirl that you see on television on the racks right now, and there hasn't been in a long time. And so that's where you fail. 
if you bring this, you know, a 12 year old girl and she's reading the goth queen uh, Supergirl that's being printed right now, unrecognizable, never going back to the comic book store. I agree with you that Bendis has done a good job with Superman. Uh, my not reading the books anymore is a philosophical difference about Clark Kent and what he represents to the character. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to not going to use this as my as like a, a forum to air those grievances. But since you mentioned it and mentioned me specifically, I, I did want to say I, I think he understands the character. I think he understands the character up to a certain point, And then he completely loses uh, a certain portion of what makes that character special because he has a problem with secret identities. See, see those, I mean, your beloved era, Michael, of the post-crisis Superman played Superman for straight, you know, as it's, he's supposed to be, I think, uh, and played, you know, the, the relationship with Lois Lane, the people, the things that people know. Jimmy Joe Olsen was Jimmy Olsen. Lois was Lois. And then where, where can you screw around a little bit? Oh, well, we've got a Ron Troop. We've got we were introducing mm-hmm. these different characters in there. Professor Hamilton, who are not anything yet. And we can make something of that and play around with with those characters if we really need to do something uh, interesting. We we can bring new characters, but the old characters I think were well catered to within the context of bringing them back to what what was classic about them. In the same way that Superman anchoring a uh, you know a news show on TV was stupid uh, in the Bronze Age. Yeah. <laughs> Ange, I, I think I remember we were talking about this once before, but I I, I think. Supergirl for about the last maybe 20 years or something. She has just been a never ending cycle of middle aged men exercising their fears of their teenage daughters in, in print. That's just, yeah. Yeah, I, I so true. I mean, if you look at my blog, I call it the wash, rinse, repeat, right? Yeah, there yeah. is, you know, they, they make her evil. The sales plummet. They bring in somebody who can try to redeem the character. There's about a year's worth of good stories where she's redeemed. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up and says, you know, it would be great. Let's make her evil. So they make her evil again. The sales plummet. Right. You know, like uh, and then ultimately the book gets canceled, which has actually happened this time. And so it's exactly right. The Sterling Gates, Jamal Eigel run. That is the high watermark for this character. There is no doubt unless you're really looking for Silver Age type stuff. And I'm glad that they were printing that. And Sterling Gates has been online and saying, like, I would love to come back to the book. But instead, what you get is Mark Andreco, who's like, I'm going to send it into space. She's going to have a huge battle axe and she's going to almost kill people every other issue. And it's like, that's not Supergirl, right? You know, she's supposed to be like, I'm a teenage girl with superpowers and I'm trying to figure things out. And hang on, hang on. My cousin. I'm crossing two more things off my list. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that's it. So, you know, you say, right. And then when Mark Andreco leaves, Right. They're like, you know, and you know what we'll do now? Let's make her, you know, infected by the Batman who laughs. And so he wasn't dark enough. We'll make her even darker. And then guess what happened? This is the last issue of the book. She's being canceled. And you go while while a popular Supergirl show in the classic mold is on television. Exactly. She is at the height of her mainstream popularity. Right. You know, when I started my blog, there were people at work who were like, there is no such thing as Supergirl. And now people come up to me and say, like, oh, did you watch Supergirl last night? And there's no book on the shelf that represents that. It's just it's mind boggling. I mean, and this is why there's the door, Dan Didio. Uh, Don't let it hit you on the way out. Does that speak to DC's inability to reach the audience of the television show? Or is there something inherent 
about your mainstream television viewing audience that they may not want to read comics. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to know. I, I agree with you. But I'll tell you that, you know, I have three daughters. And for the longest time, you know, I would go into a comic book store and I would buy them a comic book that I felt comfortable giving them. And I really wanted them to pick up the Supergirl ball, uh, you know, and sort of like we would be like it. And they watched the television show with me. There's no book that they want to read that's that's Supergirl, right? And that is the that is the audience that you want. Here are girls that are four, you know, sixteen to twenty, right? That they were, you know, saw comic books from, you know, from the minute they were born, there were comic books strewn all over the house. You think that they would be the ones that would say like, "What's interesting on the shelves now, Dad?" They've kind of been pushed away. There's there's because when they see what I'm reading, they're like, "I don't understand it. It's too, you know, it's too enmeshed in an old continuity, or it's unreal." recognizable there has always been a disconnect between what is going on in sort of like the berlanti verse and what seems to be hitting this more mainstream thing and what the comics are doing it's like they're playing catch up but they're at the wrong times if you guys remember the new 52 green arrow they redesigned him and he looked just like the smallville one and he was like this tech genius so he looked like smallville green arrow but he acted like tony stark and at the same time that comic is coming out you've got arrow premiering which is a completely different version of this character and it's like how did you miss this like like i know there's like delays in production but couldn't somebody in between be talking to you guys it's like let's create some sort of synergy but they, they did they did because they had these digital only comics that yeah, took place yeah. in between seasons so they had a arrow version but just for digital and they had like a supergirl season 1.5 yeah they did and it's just digital so I, I don't know what they're, they're thinking there because then whatever – is that the gateway drug? If it is, it, it doesn't translate into comic book sales later. That actually – that takes me to some – because I, I do want to come back to content again when, we, when I come to sort of my big idea towards the end. But I did want to hit on a few things that were already mentioned. I, I really wholly support the idea of upping their reprint game. Um, cause DiDio, DiDio has said himself that they, their reprints are selling better than some of their new books in in a lot of cases and everything. Um, I would look at like one of the things that Marvel has been doing with their epic collection line and their like omnibuses. And I know that DC has been doing a lot of reprints of some of their stuff with like the, the bronze age omnibus, the silver age omnibus, the golden age and doing those. I'm not sure how often those are coming out, but I would increase that and I would try to push those out more regularly, have more content, get more like, you know, kind of obscure or tertiary material in there and just really hit up some reprinting more of more of their material. Every book that is available for, you know, like that is archived digitally or has been published, everything in their catalog should be like, you know, put out on trade at some point, some kind of available. Um, I would also do more original graphic novels. Um, I, and part of this is just me sort of like going through like this nostalgia, looking back at some of the Marvel and Batman uh, graphic novels that I read in the 90s. Um, just do more original things like that for Batman and Green Lantern and other characters like that and have them be self-contained stories, easily adaptable. You can have this basically be a blueprint for how you could make a movie. And I think that's kind of what the Earth One books were attempting to do. And I don't think that was a bad, uh, bad idea. So I, I would kind of, uh, you know, hit, hit some more things like that. Not necessarily origin stories, but something simple, something that can be easily translatable. Um, something else there. I, I would also look at more digital content. And actually, for 
other audiences, younger audiences, not necessarily mainstream comic book audiences, because we need to expand, I would look at sort of app-specific content. I would talk to people and develop interactive comic book stories that combine comics with games for mobile apps and do stuff like that that like kids might like so that they can have like a sort of Batman choose your own adventure type of thing where you know they pull it up on their phone and it, you know it updates every week or every month or something like that and they have to read a page and Batman you know at the end of that page you know Batman is confronting the Riddler or the Penguin and you turn to the next page and then there's an actual like a challenge puzzle that the reader has to do has to sort of solve in order to beat the Riddler and then once that's done you get to the next page and it it plays out like a comic with panels things like that just try and expand it and get more people to see see the characters and see the ip but actually be more immersive and interactive and use their mobile phones that they always have locked in their hands anyway uh any any other ideas for that like like i mean this kind of going back to what we were saying like changing formats changing like approaches to the media itself well, let me ask you this: Did anyone did anyone have uh, as, as part of their new reign as DC publisher? Did anyone start it with a sort of reboot, whether an event or just like a reset of? Or, and how how did you handle it? I, I did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't necessarily like let me reboot the universe. It was just an understanding that it, we should be looking at the heroic mm-hmm. ideal again. So yeah. I don't want to see feet of clay. I don't want to see I'm an anti-hero and I kill people. You know, you can have those characters. But I think that the primary characters have to be these are, you know, guys with, you know, women and men with morals who I should uh, be inspired by and to aspire to be like. So I don't want the Brian. I loved the Brian Azarella Wonder Woman as an Elseworld universe. But but there was a lot about that 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 was not what I want my real Wonder Woman to be like, you know. And so that would be it. We're back to being heroes. We're back to being good guys. And guess what? Bad guys don't have to have a sympathetic backstory to make me feel for them. Sometimes they can just be evil people who need to be, you know, that are bad guys. So I don't know how I would come come back to that, but that would be the one thing that I would say that my universe would have. The good guys are good guys, and the bad guys, for the most part, are just bad guys. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder what would have happened to the DC universe if Challenge of the Super Friends never existed. <laughs> Considering how many of those, like I was thinking about it the other day, and it, it was like one of those I should have had a V8 moments where I'm like, God, for every evil, it was Black Manta and Captain Cold and Lex Luthor and Bizarro and Challenge of the Super Friends. <laughs> the Legion of Doom, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's just like, I I, I would not want to do a, a reboot or a revamp or a, you know, like a flashpoint type thing to bring everything to an end and restart it. Uh, I would just not even a soft reboot, but just basically back to basics, essentially, where you are taking these characters and writing that fine line between what they represent, who they are and having them be a interesting character to read about. I, I think it's amusing that every single time Dan DiDio well, maybe not every single time, but it's just like after Infinite Crisis and after and with the new 52, they made this huge deal where we're back to the basics with the Justice League. It's Superman. It's Batman. It's all of this. 
And then like a year later, it's like, yeah, Green Lantern's off in space doing whatever. So he's not part of this. And like the, the post-Infinite Crisis JLA fell apart completely uh, into a more interesting team, I might add. But you didn't have the iconic uh, characters because Wonder Woman was off in her thing. Superman was living on New Krypton and Batman was dead. <laughs> so I, I think the important thing is don't do a reboot. Don't reintroduce all the characters with a brand new origin. Just tell good stories about the characters and kind of keep them in their own lane for a little while until you do something crazy. I have a, a different idea, but I want to hear what Cisco had in mind. Uh, well, actually, I'm looking at notes from 2007, which means that that this was by how would I resolve Final Crisis? And this, <laughs> so this is before Final Crisis number one even came out. Okay. <laughs> So I, I, so I have no idea what Final Crisis will be, and having read it, uh, I still don't know what it is. But uh, old, yeah, I would I would have done at the time. I would have done like the ultimate reboot, you know, where no character is there. You don't keep Batman and Green Lantern around. I mean, all the stories I would have given the writers, the creative teams, X number of months, six months, let's say, to wrap everything up. End of that universe, the the post crisis universe as we know as we knew it, uh, or post fifty post infinite crisis, whatever it was, and then to wrap it up meaningfully and as they did with some of the books, and then others seem to have gotten the memo late, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when when they they knew fifty two did some some years later. So anyway, and then when we start over, we start over with very few fewer books, just like just like Michael had in his plan. But every time you start a new series, it actually first starts with some sort of, I didn't have a name for any of this. I was calling it reboot month as a, as a stand in. Uh, But you would have like a, a minus one issue, a reboot issue, which would re I, I don't want Superman to be a, you know, like on year one and Batman to be on year one and some of these things that they did like in the 50, new 52 Justice League and then like the five years and it's also impossible for the Robins to, to exist, uh, that kind of stuff. The veterans are veterans, the newbies are newbies, the kids that have grown up, I've grown up, but let's have an issue of their series, of whatever series, that situates them in the universe as it is. What we've kept, what we've dropped, uh, let's tell the history in, in like a, a minus one issue, like a zero issue. And then then the series can start. And every time you start a series for the, that next two or three years, you always first start it with that, positioning a character. Where do they exist in the DC universe? It could be an origin story because they're new. It could just be a, a frame tale, a story to tell us how, uh, you know, Superman's 10 years into his career. Let's talk about those first 10 years in a way that tells us that's that was my plan back then. And the plan also included at some point a new who's who, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, to keep a certain show going, but uh, that, that didn't exist at the time, I guess, but that's what I was planning back then because we were just on, you know, final crisis was right in front of us. What changes will this bring? And then unfortunately no changes really, or, or I mean, storyline changes, but not a, like a revamp of the universe, and then the revamp of the universe would happen later. And that revamp, I, I think, was was kind of bungled. But uh, at the time, that's what I was saying. Now, we've gone through Final Crisis, we've gone through uh, Flashpoint and the New 52, we've gone through 
rebirth and the clock clockwork thing and and that now we're we're heading towards or I don't know if that's all up in the air without the Dio, but we're heading towards the five G event that that would resettle, rejuggle everything once again. There's just been too many of them. So all my plans for rebooting uh, with a big event are out the window because we're sick of that stuff. I, I almost prefer the the way that certain books and those weird lines, whether Young Animal or Wonder Comics, Wonder Comics don't seem to care in what continuity they take place. Yeah. I, re- I read the Dial H for Hero, and that's one of DiDio's successes was that he greenlit two Dial H series, so that's important to me. But <laughs> but that Dial H series that just ended, that 12-issue series, has Superman, has other characters, has Snapper Car showing up at the, the museum and it's it's just the DC's toys, not in continuity. You don't you don't really understand if it is part of continuity or if it should be or if you care that it is. So it's just a story, and it uses the DC universe's toys plus its own characters, and you don't question it. And I think that's maybe closer to what Ange and Michael have been saying about not rebooting, but but rather just letting the characters settle into their iconic selves and telling stories with those. And then it doesn't matter what happened before because what happened before has like three or four different histories. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a case where I'm with you, but I, I don't think you went far enough. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah. So this, this is actually, this was my big idea. And this was sort of the impetus of why I actually wanted to talk, uh, how I wanted to have this, have this discussion, why I wanted to do this episode. I, I actually kind of thought about what it would take to get me to read a new, brand new DC comic. And I couldn't really think of anything. When I thought that there are 80 years worth of Flash comics or Aquaman comics or Batman comics. Why are we paying anybody to write something new when there's all that back matter that I could be reading? Um, that I, I've got shell, I've got stacks, I've got back issues, I've got graphic novels like on my bookshelf and everything that I still haven't read. What, like, why are we doing more of this? And I, it kind of it kept coming to this idea of continuity is the problem. Continuity is the devil. And this whole thing. So I kind of thought what I would do for the main line, and this is why I, they would never let me be publisher because they would fire me. And a lot of you guys will probably think this is this is crazy in itself, is I would basically tell the all the creatives involved, it's like you've got a year to wrap up your stories and then get ready because we're gonna we're gonna cancel everything. And throughout that year, I would have a year-long weekly event, maybe bi-weekly, it could be like a 26-issue thing. But what it would be, it would be a golden age story, a story set in the golden age, a brand new story, not we're not doing a Roy Thomas thing where we're just recycling old material, but telling a brand new sort of origin of the DC universe, starting in 1938 and moving through World War II, culminating with the Justice Society of America fighting the Axis and Nazi powers and everything like that, and maybe maybe recycle bits of the secret origin of the of the JSA with you know the the um, Spear of Destiny and the Adam sacrificing himself, taking a bullet for the president. Elements like that, you can do that, but have those guys and, and not just the post-crisis JSA, have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, those guys all there from the beginning, but things might change. You're not bound to history. Maybe the Hour Man gets killed after you know a couple of issues and he's replaced by somebody else. Maybe he's not replaced. I don't know, but tell a new story set 
in those you know war era years that that golden age checkered and by the end of that story something has definitively changed that alters the course of history and creates a brand new universe and in this new universe you never had a silver age of superheroes or a bronze age of superheroes or a chromium age or modern age or whatever it is and it's basically the heroes stopped after world war ii and now it's 2020 it's like 80 years later what does the world look like and i would have the creative staff maybe some people who are still working at dc but bring in some of our again our friends from the community michelle fifa david gallagher other people who are writers and artists bring them in and i would say it's 1960 Marvel Comics. You are Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Build me a new universe. All new superheroes. The only existing heroes still in this universe, because they're just old enough to still be alive, are Superman, who's like 110 years old. And he has, you know, because of his Kryptonian physiology, he's alive, but he's not in his prime. And he has seen his loved ones, his parents, Lois, Jimmy, everybody. They have died a long time ago, natural causes or whatever. It didn't make him bitter. He's not like, this is not the the Kingdom Come Superman or the uh, Injustice Superman that is lost. But he is a man who has just had to deal with the fact he still believes in the fight. He still believes in truth and justice, but he's a little slower on the game. And Wonder Woman, who's 105 years old because she's a goddess and and supernatural, she's kind of in the same boat. And the only other thing that has survived through this time is the Helmet of Fate. But nobody knows where that is. It might end up in the enemy's hands. And I just like that as a mystery because I like the look of the Helmet of Fate. Everything else, all the other characters are brand new. That means no Batman. Yes, we're going to take a moratorium on Batman. That's why they would never let me do this. <laughs> Warner, Brothers, <laughs> Warner Brothers would say, you're crazy, you're fired, we're going to put you in an insane asylum. And I would say, you don't need new Batman IP for your movies. You've got 80 years worth of goddamn Batman stories to tell. In some cases, <laughs> literally goddamn Batman stories that you can mine for movies. We've also got, as I already said, the digest, reprint, uh, or, or a manga-sized um all-ages-friendly, all you know, Batman and detective books and everything that you can see. We can still do original graphic novels with Batman, but for the main universe, 20 books, you know, a month instead of 52, maybe, you know, a little bit more, something like that, but brand new heroes, brand new teams, brand new villains, new concepts. Let's create an actual new universe, a new shared universe of brand new heroes. Like, let's not be bound by the legacy, except for Superman and Wonder Woman, who've just been sort of like the the ideals for the longest time and can sort of kind of be guiding forces. But let's not be bound by this continuity that we've got. The problem with these every five years rebooting a new version of Superman in the Justice League is that it always feels a little bit half-assed. And I was like, no, let's go full-ass, a real, <laughs> complete overhaul of the universe. And, and this is also key, from the onset it is a temporary change. We tell people this is going to last for four or five years. And the reason we make that up front, the reason we announce that is because we tell people that this is going to be a fixed storyline. It has a beginning and it has a middle and it has an end because I think that will help people be invested. Because for me, thinking about watching Avengers Endgame, I I don't know about you guys, but I, I found that to be a phenomenally satisfying conclusion to the saga. And I really, I'm, I'm really glad they're still making Marvel universe movies, but if Avengers Endgame was the end of that saga, 
I would be really, really happy and really, really satisfied with what it did. And I think those endings, which it's it's unique to American comics that the stories don't ever have endings. But what if they did? I think if you look at a lot of the things that make these bestseller lists, what Vertigo was able to do, what these popular books like Watchmen and uh, Dark Knight Returns and like these other things, like, you know, the, these books that we're still trying to live and, and redo every year, it's they were finite stories with endings. So I think you do that. You build that in that by the end of four years – all these heroes, some of them are going to die, some of them are going to live, but by the end of it, like whatever the main story is for this new universe, it is going to be finite. And then you reboot something else. Either you bring back the old heroes or you bring in a new generation of of, uh, of creatives and you say, let's redo this all again. But maybe instead of having those diehard 50-year-old comic book collectors who have been with the same character all in all, maybe you go back to the way, the way comics were in the lean years where it's like, no, you re, you do recycle these things every five years because that's how long you have to keep your audience. You grab a 13-year-old who's going to pick up issue one, and by the time he's going to college, he's done. He's grown out of comics, but he had that entire story. And now the next generation is going to do that exact same thing. I think continuity is the problem, so we just get rid of that and we just build something new from the start. So, am I crazy? Is that ridiculous? I, I don't think it's crazy or ridiculous. Um, I, 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 you know, it, it's, it's when you were describing it and I'm like, this is, this is what I like about talking to a wide variety of comic book fans is that not everybody thinks the same way I do. And so it's not an echo chamber. I'm not saying I don't support your idea because I support you because you're my friend, <laughs> but, uh, and I think it could actually work. I just don't know if that's what I would want out of a DC universe. I, I actually, I realized as I was coming up with this idea that I was like, all of my friends who read comics are not going to read that. <laughs> They're all going to drop their DC subscriptions, but you know what? I'm in the business to make money if I'm publisher. <laughs> and, and, and you hit on something there is that, as much as I had problems with DiDio, as much as I had problems with decisions he made, the 9-11-ing of the DC universe, uh, and, and and I say that after rewatching a featurette on one of the animated films where everybody they interviewed was just like, yeah, 9-11 was kind of one of the main impetuses for us doing everything we did. <laughs> and as much as I... I we're not even going to get into the weeds of, of, of certain back uh, like office things that were probably terrible as well. But I would never want that. You know, we're, we're sitting here saying this is what we would do. I would never want that job. <laughs> Basically the minute you become editor in chief or publisher, you're painting a giant target on both sides of your body. And, and you're, you're basically half the people are going to like it and half the people are going to hate it. And you're and we live in a world of social media. So you're going to hear about it every single day. I think so. the real answer to Ryan's original question, what would you do as publisher, as new publisher of DC, is immediately quit. That's <laughs> yeah. the real answer. Yeah. It's, it's basically like when... when uh, what when is this Nixon, monkey's paw? Yeah, when, when Nixon fired the attorney general that was... Uh, because he wanted him to get rid of the special prosecutor and he's, and he quits. So the guy that was under the, the attorney general is now attorney general and he quits. <laughs> it's just like, Nope, Nope, Nope. I, 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 
it's like, you say monkey's paw and all I can think of is, is, is a Simpsons thing that didn't have to do with the monkey's paw. It was actually the crusty, corrupted crusty doll. But it's just like, you know, you, you also you, you're the uh, publisher of DC Comics, but you also get Frogert. <laughs> but it comes with a choice of topping. But the topping is cursed, too. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it was very interesting when, like, Orion, you had mentioned the backlash that happened when people were like, I'm glad that Didio is uh, is out. And then everybody was like, why are you cursing him? You know, uh, nobody should, uh, you know, cheer for somebody losing their job. A lot of creators basically said uh, that Didio took the brunt of all of these complaints, even though he, you know, um, it should have been based uh, towards more towards the creator. So there were a lot of the creators that said, he stood up and took all of the arrows that probably should have been fired towards me. They were like, that actually made him a very good leader. But, um, but I agree that I would probably not want that job because people would tell me that I'm stuck in the fifties and I love saccharine superheroes. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I just want good stories with heroes. Um, they don't have to be overwhelmingly sweet and dumb. In fairness, Uh, in fairness, in my DC universe, you wouldn't have an angsty goth supergirl, but you also wouldn't have Supergirl. <laughs> that, wait, that's right. You know, and, and so, you know, and it's funny because people are like, you're probably very happy that this title is being canceled because this isn't the Supergirl that you want to read. And I'm like, well, that's true, but there is a Supergirl that I do want to read. And it's not that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, rocket science. Like there are, you know, you know what her character is, just write good stories. You know, um, you love the character, be a fan of the character and write stories for that character. Cause I, I, I agree with Ange. I think like Jim Lee is what is a poison pill mm-hmm. in this whole thing. We can't lay everything at DiDio's feet. When Jim Lee comes in, puts his own creations into the DC universe with the new 52 redesigns all the costumes. So they look the same, which is absurd. I mean, there's a lot of other people, you know, naming someone creative director or whatever the name of, of the the post is in Jeff Johns. And they also put a lot of people with toxic working relationships in senior editor positions for Mm -hmm. the new 52 and the DCU. If if we're really uh, honest about what I would bring personally, I, I would clean house with all the sexual harassers and all yeah. of that junk. Yeah, yeah, that, that would, would be, be gone. And that that would my first move would be to get rid of the, the 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 toxic dude bros. That would be my number one. I don't care about content or format. This is the first thing I do as, as someone who runs the office. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fascinating in 2011. The new 52s ramping up, and everyone's really excited. And I'm like. Yeah, you know, from DC Comics, you got Hank Canals and Bobby Chase and Bob Harris. And I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, time out. Wait a second. <laughs> is, is this 2011 DC Comics or is this 1991 Marvel Comics? Yeah. Because and, and, I'm not seeing much of a difference here create, on, on the editorial side. No, and you have people like Eddie Berganza and other people that are known to be terrible human beings and stuck around and you know some creators left because they could not work with them you know that's not the right that's not the right environment but to, to i mean to comment on your idea ryan i like it but it's not the dc universe i mean it's like a it's like the new universe it's a side universe it's a if you're not using the ips then does it hold claim to being the dc universe because it has i would meet you about 80% of the way. Yes, I, I love that idea of restarting it and restarting it with that big gap. 
but let's honor the fact that the Justice Society did exist. And so you would have legacy heroes or in the same way that that Marvel Universe in the 60s still had a human torch, still had Captain America. So, you know, mm-hmm. so there, there, you could bring in elements like that that would make it recognizable. But I agree that one of the things that they need to do is also create new characters that will themselves become iconic. It's just that we've had a lot of these, uh, you know, I, I really was collecting a lot of books in, in the time when everybody was starting their own universe, whether that's Valiant or Impact or, uh, and some of these are rebooted ideas and uh, and everybody, you know, tried to do it. Some lasted, some didn't last so long, but regardless, it's like you're always going back to that Marvel universe or that DC universe that you, re- because you recognize the characters, because you want to read those characters. Uh, but I don't disagree that that might be a good marketing plan to hook people in uh, and keep them for a length of time. It's it's at least interesting. Hmm. Any other ideas before we go? Bring back Hawk and Dove. <laughs> <laughs> all right. After I file all, after I fire all of these serial sexual harassers, <laughs> second idea is to kill Hawk and Dove. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we're not changing anything from the, the, the way it works, if we're still doing floppies and, you know, all my big ideas are I'm just I'm just keeping the keeping the show running. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, and, you know, little content characters that we love. I think one of the one of the problems that the Dio had for me was that he hated certain characters. And it's a little bit like when <laughs> crisis. Well, when any legacy uh, younger hero he wanted to get rid of and and he wasn't very complimentary. I mean, and that stuff is reported. That stuff is known. So in in the same way that when, you know, the the stuff where how Supergirl got killed in crisis, the the, the comment that someone I mean, I don't want to repeat it. So people that hate characters should not be working on those characters, not even in an event, not even as an editor. If you hate a character, you should not be. You're the, the 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 person I want least close to that character. Find someone who loves them, who loves her, and let that person do something. And if no one loves that character, just don't do anything with them. That's that's yeah. it's as simple as that. So you can find someone who is a fan of a character and who would want to play with that toy and make you love that character as editor. So Ryan. I mean, I mean the Ryan Daly years. We're, we talk about the Dio, but the Ryan Daly years, those those five years before he gets uh, sent to the loony bin, where uh, <laughs> he hated all the characters, obviously. No, but I mean when he kills Hawk and Dove, those are somebody's favorite characters. Some some people like those characters. Find a writer who wants to do it. Step three: <laughs> Don't hire anybody who loves Red Tornado. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that would be that the character I hate. You know, the only way I can write Red Tornado. Is is a lampoon. Mm-hmm. I, I I play him as the sad android who is completely ridiculous and melancholy and w- he's Silver Surfer uh, cranked up to eleven. And suddenly I like him as a comedy character, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but but still I, I'm liking him. Uh, and if somebody can write a good uh, Red Tornado story, then I will like Red Tornado, no problem. Also, I don't really hate him. You know, same with the Outsiders. I think Outsiders sucks. But there is a way to write it. If you like the Outsiders, if you, if I don't like the Outsiders, that is not on me to destroy them as editor. My yeah. job is not storytelling. My job is making sure that the best people are on the, the properties that we want to invest in. This is quite hit on something there, though, that I I think of of anybody who has the job, the most important thing you have to do is 
if you look at a character and go, man, I just don't understand this character. I need someone to come in and do a version of this character that will make me understand this character. Then you're already going in the wrong direction because obviously that character, whoever it is, has been around, especially with most of the mainstream iconic DC heroes. These are characters or concepts that have been around for eight decades now. So somebody obviously liked him. Now you could argue that some of those characters were kept around because they're important IPs and they bring in merchandising dollars, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'll, I'll agree with that. They, they kept putting out a wonder woman comic for decades uh, because they didn't want to lose the copyright on it to, to the Marsden estate. So, you know, these things happen, but I, I, I think the most important thing is, is, God, you're so right. Find people that like the characters. Don't have somebody come on to a Superman book is just like, well, I hate Lois Lane. Then you're not the man for this job or the right. woman. <laughs> you're just not. I'm sorry. If you don't like Lois Lane, you know, GTFO. And similarly, when they, you know, that era where they kept bringing on novelists and people from other media to, to write comics, whether that's JMS, whether that's um, uh, Meltzer, they're they're not necessarily comic book writers, and I I felt that in their work, and I felt there was like a disrespect. I can't believe JMS ever read any comic series that he then wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, his Spider Man is completely off model. His, his Superman was completely off model. His Wonder Woman yeah. was completely off model. It's like, and he never even finished those projects because these people have other careers that are much more lucrative. And, you know, frankly, and more uh, and more high, pre- more prestigious. So they're never going to finish a project. You put Kevin Smith on a comic, you, you know, it's like five issues in three years. Obviously, I, I could have told you that. So we, I, you know, those are that's stunt casting, so mm-hmm. to speak. But yeah. often these these people don't have that that reverence for the for or that like of the character. They just want to tell their own story in their own style. And uh, it might be good. But more often than not, these seem to be destroying the toys. And then, you know, Infinity, uh, whatever, Identity Crisis was a breaking of toys. And I think the, the JMS and Wonder Woman uh, stories that he never even finished, except he kept getting the credit because, you know, whatever was written on that napkin, it, it, wasn't, it was off model until somebody else had to pick it up and then bring it back to model. I think like uh, Chris Robertson likes Superman a lot more than JMS did. JMS did like a hit job and then somebody comes in to finish the story and then suddenly becomes a Superman story again, you know? So we need those people. We need those people who love the characters and want to do them, uh, do them justice, do them well. And that's my job as editor is bringing these people, right? Yeah. And make, make those love matches. I got to say, I'm really happy that nobody brought to the table the idea of hiring Zack Snyder and Brian Hitch to do the Snyder <laughs> Cut version of Justice League as a comic book or a graphic novel. Oh, God. Oh, never. Geez. Never. Never. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> at the very – the very. I mean – But the dollar-dollar bills, y'all. That, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I – it, it, it's funny that we – God, I – the, the thing about broken toys is the reason we're in the position we're in right now is around 2004, 2005, both Marvel and DC and their higher echelon editorial staff basically said, no, we can start breaking these toys. Let's start breaking these toys. You know what happens after you do that for 15 years? You got a bunch of broken toys and there's nothing left to do with it. So it, it, it's, 
the the idea of breaking toys is short-sighted and i think that has been my biggest problem with dc over the last 20 years is that everything seems to be in reaction to something but not planning for something Mm -hmm. you know we do the new 52 because our sales are slipping and we're owned by a mega you know entertainment corporation and we have to hit those five-year projections so we're not doing that for the first time and oh my god we just we just gotta we just gotta restart everything and I think the proof was in the pudding that a lot of their concepts were not well thought out, and then they didn't stick with anything, and so everything changes. God, man, just was anybody reading Green Lantern during the New Fifty Two? And after Jeff Johns left, was was there like anything there, or was it just it, did it just fall off the face of the planet? Like I seen it seemed to. I did read it until he left. Yeah, uh, sure, not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I read it. I, I, I honestly, it, it like, I mean, basically after Blackest Night, I was kind of reading it on autopilot. Um, I, I, I think he probably stayed with that for several years too long. Um, yeah, not sure. It's still an aberration of the, I mean, the system is broken. A lot of our ideas is, are about lowering the number of books out. Mm-hmm. Well, that reduces our market share. And if you remember the, the 90s, how Marvel won the day. They were just they weren't going after sales. They were going after market share. Because they'd gone public and they were, you know, just the more they had that's all those weird lines that those UK, the Marvel UK lines and all these uh extra books, they were just flooding the market and getting them a, a higher market share. How where that works. I mean, you know, I'm no businessman, I'm certainly no stock trader, but the, it, it it was about that. And they weren't getting better sales on each book, but they had more books. And I think when we're, you know, the new 52 is basically designed to be Marvel 90s uh, with all the same editors and the same sort of ideas and the same sort of aesthetic up to a point. Uh, and I think that's that was one of the ideas. I, I think they were flooding the market mm. uh, with new number ones, with 52 series plus whatever miniseries and other labels they might have um, flooding the market. All right, I'm going to I'm going to throw a bold suggestion out there. Oh, shit. Have we thought of. 16 books in the Batman family yeah. coming out of the <laughs> Exactly. I think we had 14 at the New 52, but have we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you counting Jonah Hex? Yes, in I Gotham was. In the, in, yeah. I was counting so, that in the New 52. I think there was like, I think there were maybe 13 that fit into the Batman family. That was like, a four, there was like 25% of the New 52 titles involved Gotham or the Batman world in some way. And there were non-New 52 titles with Batman as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, they were also coming out with miniseries and specials and all sorts of stuff that was Batman related that was not New Fifty Two. So hey, um, hey, he's my favorite DC hero, but even I'm saying I want a five year moratorium on Batman stories. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're very brave. Well, you know, when I'm when I get that publisher's contract money, then you know, <laughs> if it if it blows up in flames, all right, I'm going onto my yacht. <laughs> uh, this is why you're going to uh, in the in the in the contract have a very generous golden parachute uh, that is for some hey, reason hey, hey. bat shaped. That's the name of one of my new characters that I'm going to have my Michelle Fever create for me. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had a good aviator hero in a while. Blackhawk's been, you know, no, no, no. He is the guy. He's like the leverage of the DC. He goes and helps people that have been screwed over by big corporations. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do a leverage series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
oh, <laughs> the ambulance chaser. He's on a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's> on a... <laughs> all right. All right. Um, well, yeah, thank you very much for, for indulging me with this project and coming up with some of these ideas. Sometimes it's just fun to like vent some of our, some of our problems, some of our ideas for what could make this hobby that we all love a little bit better, a little bit sunnier. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they will name a new publisher soon and we will find out what's going on. I actually, at the time I was coming up with these ideas, I had no idea what 5G was. I, I think I just discovered that yesterday. I was like, what? What? So who knows? Who knows? Um, Michael, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you in the podcastosphere? Fortressofbailytude.com, home of the Fortress of Bailytude podcasting network, which I am overhauling the site to actually make it more um, sighty. Uh, I was just basically blogging my, my shows out there for a long time, but now I'm actually trying to create like a home base uh, that is more user friendly, but uh, yeah, there's from crisis to crisis and overlook dark night uh, where Ryan and I and Andy and Chris have all switched places. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the day we do the crossover where it's like me and Ryan and Chris and Andy, and there was like a lightning strike and suddenly we <laughs> find ourselves on, on different earths or something. But uh, I like talking about comics and uh, that's where you can find that. Somebody else who likes talking about comics, Dr. Ange, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, I run a Supergirl blog called Comic Box Commentary, uh, and um, I'm usually putting stuff up five days a week, uh, and I'm most active on Twitter at uh, Dr. Ange70. And yeah, another person who likes talking about comics, Siskoid, where can we find you? Well, uh, a lot of my written work is at siskoid.blogspot.com, and my spoken word is on Fire and Water podcast network just like uh, just like ryan where you found this podcast and i do comic book shows like fw team up and that's one of the things that doesn't exist in comics anymore an actual real team up book uh and uh what else uh, zero hour strikes give me that star trek um and oh or not so those are like the main shows i'm not saying they're the only ones all right thank you all three of you for being on this episode with me this was a ton of fun Listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, if you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can also go to iTunes and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. FW Presents can also be found on Spotify if that's your jam. If you like this show or other shows on the Fire and Water Network, please consider donating to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information. As always, thank you for listening. Hey, Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Rainstorm, meet me in the conference room. We need to brainstorm, need some middle ground, need an even keel. But you were all picking sides, give me fever chills. Take a both like my flu shot broke. I need to give a tip to keep me out of that moat. My head above water, thoughts of those lost this week. All this tragedy say on repeat like we can't shake shit. I can't speak on it. Fist to the sky, but I can't beat on it. Drinking my cup, so I'm gonna sip on them. Can't lose, probably pissed. You can't stiff on them. All these levels of these relative problems and benevolence is elegant for those who can solve them. I'm feeling pretty low like I'm stuck at the bottom, but I know I'll rebound like the bulls with Rodman. I am just exactly what I will be. Just a guy who can rhyme and chop ill beats. One day I'll
recover from what ails me Till then I'm on that fuck what the sales be My mama told me One day I'ma grow up big and I'ma be a king And my papa told me It's okay to sit where shit hurts Don't forget your dreams cause they'll get you through this So call life to call living what I call it strange And I bet I'll do it they talk about death, we trying to live life While they signal says left, but they really going right But who cares, they got nothing to improve upon me While we pass them fast lane Rubicon So let the shit storm rang and they try to dab us up But we just leave them hanging Yeah, so let them catch up with the language They can talk shit, but you know that we can manage uh, They say they tired of the metaphors They are only pissed that they never really ready for them uh, so go ahead and get ready for them Pop another bottle cause you're gonna need a steady y'all uh, It's like we living in the Tron game Lines are all blurred cause we're sipping on the Bombay uh, John Stock versus LeBron James No competition when you factor in the time change Babe, who sucks? Fuck what the books say I can strike him out with three bitches in an arm sling Yeah, and we can do anything Mama said it's true and I put that on everything My mama told me One day I'ma blow up big and I'ma be a king And my papa told me